0: develop their business and to create an impact in the lives of people all around them. Business topics, trends, innovation and the intersection with leadership is the focus. We enable success. I'm your host Stephen Paul. In this episode we meet an entrepreneur who has been immersed in the information technology security profession and now a specialist in general data protection regulation or commonly referred to as GDPR. He's the author of the best-selling book GDPR Made Simple, and a presenter and producer of the GDPR Weekly Show. We are joined by Keith Budden to decipher all of this and share his story and experience. Welcome, Keith, and how are you doing on this Friday morning?
1: Welcome, Stephen. Uh, Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. Yeah, on this Friday morning, one week to Easter and a few days off, which may be nice. And uh, yeah, thank you very much for inviting me to be on, on, on your podcast.
0: Wonderful, Keith. Keith, where are you based in the UK?
1: Uh, I, I'm, I'm, in, I'm in a town called Petersfield in Hampshire. It's about 20 miles north of Portsmouth.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. And what's, what's, what's exciting about Portsmouth?
1: What's exciting about Portsmouth? Oh, I mean, Portsmouth's got lots of things. It's got the Spinnaker Tower. Um, it's got, obviously, the Naval Dockyard, which most people be aware of. And of course, it's got HMS Victory, which a lot of people don't realize, even though the ship's been on dry dock for God knows how long um is still actually an active ship within the royal navy yeah. yeah
0: wonderful keith no thank you thank you very much so keith we're, we're very much interested to in hearing about your your personal and your professional journey and um uh you know we've uh, we've seen your profile about being uh um, you know information technology um specialist but also being specialized in gdpr and so forth tell us about your personal
1: journey um, my personal journey i mean i've been as I say, I've been involved in, in uh, IT security for just over 25 years now. Um, and i would got to be honest, the first 20 odd years of that were probably just really, just, just doing contracting. So just going from one place to another, slowly growing the business. I um, actually drew the business up to five people at, at, at one point. Um, and then in 2015, um, I had a coach who approached me and I was quite open with the coach I said my personal view was that coaches were a waste of money um and she said well work with me for three months if I don't change your business then don't pay me anything so I thought okay fair enough so worked with her and i would got be honest the first few weeks were just what I expected she asked me loads and loads of questions she didn't really come up with anything new at all and I was like yeah you've just confirmed what I thought coaches were all about but then she turned it around because then she said rather than doing all things for all men, I think you need to find a niche and own that niche. And I was conscious at the time that GDPR was being talked about as something that was coming, and it occurred to me that all businesses and organisations were going to need GDPR. And so I thought, I'm going to make that my niche. And so I set out to own that niche. And now, as you say, with my, my best-selling book, with my GDPR you Show podcast, and the work I do with over 150 clients, um, I think I do own that niche. Wonderful,
0: and we'll we'll come to your book very shortly. But um, let's delve a little bit more into the um, the the GDPR space. This is uh, a critical topic amongst businesses and individuals as well. Um, Tell us more about that aspect.
1: Yeah, I think I think it's something that people often don't realise. You know, I talk to um sometimes chambers of commerce or 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 places where there are small groups of people small businesses one and two man bands and some of them might say i'm just a plumber so gdpr doesn't apply to me well you know have you got clients well yes i have well then gdpr applies to you have you got employees well yes i have then gdpr applies to you and actually gdpr probably applies to something like 98 percent of businesses in the uk i mean unless you are A sole person working on their own, all you do is trade stocks and shares on the stock market all day from your computer and you don't deal with any individuals, then probably GDPR is going to apply to what you do. And so it's really important that people do the first step, which is to register with the ICO for GDPR. It doesn't cost a lot of money, if you're a small business you're talking about 35-40 pounds, it's not a lot of money, but you do need to register because the reason you need to register is twofold. One, it's actually a legal requirement, but the second is is that the ICO is aware that only 22 percent of companies who should be registered at the moment actually are, and they are very much launching a drive on that 78 percent who aren't. And to put it into context, if you receive a letter from the ICO telling you that you've not registered and you should be, first action, do go and register don't ignore that letter because if you go and register it costs you 40 pounds if you don't if you ignore that letter it could potentially cost you 2,900 pounds none of us want 2,900 pounds so pay the 40 definitely not definitely not and 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 remind us
0: Keith why is
1: this important why it's important i think is because i i it's all about protecting people's data and what i always say to people is whenever you're looking at it and thinking really is that important think about what's happening to that data and think okay that's not joe on soap on that document or, or on that screen it's me and would you be happy with what is happening to that data and if the answer to that deep down is no then why should anyone else be? And, and it is about protecting personal data. And lots of people say, oh yeah, but it puts lots of barriers in the way, it stops us doing business. Da, 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 da. No, it doesn't. Actually, do you know what? GDPR done right is a business benefit, not a business overhead. Because if you do it right, you can you can proudly say you do it right, you instill more confidence in your customers and your employees, and that leads to a better business. So don't look on GDPR as being an overhead, look on it as being a benefit. Yeah, no, that's that's, uh, that's very true. So, you
0: know, with GDPR um, going live in 2018, um, and, you know, there are lots of, Providers and lots of experts uh, within the GDPR space, and it's growing. How do you position yourself, Keith, in in that space? Is it more of an end to end, you know, service offering,
1: or is it more specialized within
0: uh, sure. a, you know, um, an
1: area? Um, no, I mean, I mean, for me, it's completely end to end because um, basically, I, I guess I, I I see it as offering the three. There's, there's three norms of either, you know, teaching you how to do it, which is probably the case with smaller businesses, because that's where their budget lies. Um, working with you on it, which, again, is an option, or doing it for you. And and I've got a number of organisations of all different sizes who've actually said, you know what, you know what you're doing, we'll hand it to you. And, and I always put that a bit like, the reason for doing that, why would you do that? One of the reasons I say doing that is a bit like, if you think about your your data in your company being like your engine in a car, then if that goes wrong, would you mend it yourself? Well, yes, you could. You could go to the library, you could get a Haynes manual for your car, you could get a set of spanners, and you could take the engine apart and put it together again. Don't blame me, though, if at the end of doing that, you've got one bolt left over that you can't work out where it goes. And GDPR is much the same. Can you do it yourself? Yeah, 100% you can. Hey, you want a real low-cost option? Go for my book. It'll tell you everything you need to know to get your business compliant with GDPR. But it is a work. And do you want to do it? Is it worth you spending the time doing it when you could get an expert to do it? Mm. And if someone claims to be an expert in it, because some people do, and there is no approved certification for GDPR experts, so, you know, it, it, it's, that's part of the problem. But ask us the evidence of what they've done.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, true. And and um, tell us a little bit more about the the size and scale of the challenges that you're you know you're 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 experiencing or or hearing from you know businesses that are either small, medium, or large. Are they similar or
1: are they are, are they different in size? Um, actually, do you know what? my experience is is that the problems that people face are are pretty much the same regardless of the size of business it's just the scale that changes because you know if you're if you're a small business i don't know you 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 you're you're a plumber with 50 clients and you lose your laptop that's got those 50 people's details on that's probably a much bigger inconvenience to you than it is to them but turn that around the other way and you're a business with fifty thousand customers and you lose all their data that's very much a big problem that everybody's interested in and it's actually going to end up costing you a lot of money and so as i say the the problems are the same the the scale changes but it is about you know being and again i think it's one thing as well where people get a little bit tired away is that no one is expecting you to have platinum standard security on your data if you're a little one-man business. People are realistic. Mm-hmm. But it's about doing something because um, I suppose, the, again, to join. I was saying, just because we can't do everything doesn't mean we shouldn't do something. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and it's about, you know, tightening down on, on the first thing. I mean, one thing I would say for all your listeners is, A, do you have a privacy policy on your website? And B, is it up to date? And if the answer to either of those questions is no, then make that your number one priority. After you've registered, assume you've registered, make that your number one priority. The reason is, is I, when I'm looking for things for the ICO, and I know the inspectors at the ICO do, the first thing they'll do is look at your website. And if you've not got an upstate privacy policy, that's going to sort of move you up their list of companies they're going to be interested in going to have a look at.
0: Yeah, that's true. And and with these companies, do they have to invest in modernizing their infrastructure, or can they work with their
1: existing data and infrastructure that they have in place? Most of the time, they can carry on working with the infrastructure they've got in place. It's quite unusual to need new infrastructure, but the no caution I'd throw into that, Stephen, is is the number of things now which are moving into the cloud and. I think people get as sort of false impression sometimes of the cloud. They think the cloud is being, you know, sort of heavenly up there somewhere. And of course it isn't. It's actually a server physically on the earth somewhere. And the important thing with all your cloud providers is finding out where that is. Because you and I, for instance, we're now talking in, in you know, we're now recording this via Zoom. And I, if I check, I can see that, in fact, this conversation between us, is actually going via zoom in germany so if you said to us at the start of this is is any of this conversation going outside of the uk we'd probably say no when in fact it is so just be cautious of things that are in the cloud.
0: yeah no interesting no that's it's it's a big revelation many people don't realize that um it's such an important thing to recognize so so keith um you know just coming to You know, speaking with businesses, for example, um, how how would conversations with executives or business leaders shape in your world? Um, You know, you mentioned about, you know, website, you know, if if there's privacy uh, policies and so forth. But, um, you know, if if, if I was a company, for example, if I was a business executive or a small, medium enterprise or even a large enterprise, what how, how would that conversation look like? or sound like between you and I?
1: Um, typically, it, it, would, it would be me saying to you, you know, A, A, about your privacy policy, but B would be, what data do you hold? I, I mean, I mean the general rules, I guess, uh, what do you hold? Why do you hold it? And what do you do with it? And those three things are crucial. And, and really, for anybody, I think, well, however big your business or small your business, that's the thing to go away and think about. So, so, you know, what data do we hold? And I don't mean names and addresses, but actual, you know, information about people. Why do we hold it? And just crucially, what do we do with it? Um, but I, I, I did I did a practical example from, from a meeting I actually had before this one. Somebody said, when we're looking to send out invitations, because we're opening a new office somewhere, we just go on websites near there and we just pick up any email addresses that are, you know, from, from local businesses, local organisations to we're opening a new office and we send them an invitation so they come along to our new office block. Okay, fine, no real problem with that that's all public information, that's okay. Then they said and it's okay because then we always give people an option to unsubscribe and at that point my ears picked up to wait a minute, unsubscribe from what? And then they said, oh, well, because, you know, once we've got that information, we keep sending them our newsletter. Uh-uh, there suddenly you've crossed the line, yeah? Because, yes, that's publicly available information. The information there. You can use it once. If you're using it more than once, actually, do you know what? You really should be finding another reason for using that data. But that doesn't necessarily have to be consent. And that's the other thing, I think, is people get hung up on consent. And most of my discussion with business are, if I get any pushback is yeah but we don't want to have to ask people for consent to do whatever it is they want to do but you know what consent is only one of the six reasons you can process things under GDPR and so actually normally you can find another damn good reason why you can do that which you don't need consent because the danger with consent yes consent's great okay if I consent to meet you know you ask me can you send me your newsletter and I say yes the danger with that, relying on consent, is the moment I say I want to withdraw my consent, you can't have any more contact with me. End of. Yeah, that's and, true. And, and, and so I was trying to steer people away from consent. But if I talk to exactly a particular big business, they tend to get hung up on consent. And consent is not the be-all and end-all yeah. of GDPR. It really isn't. Yeah,
0: it's uh, it's 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 important to differentiate those uh, those, those factors, and, and Keith, you know, with um, uh, you know pandemic happening over the last couple mm. of years, what's wh- what's what's your experience of that in relation to how companies are responding to some of these priorities like GDPR or
1: or or, or, or modernizing any 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 of the aspects as well? Sure, what? sure. I mean. I, I think the pandemic, yeah, let's be honest, the pandemic took us all by surprise. You know, no one really saw it coming. And I guess on that day in March when 2020, when Boris shut the country down, most of us probably thought we'd be back to normal in three months. Some maybe six months, but I don't think anybody thought it would actually be two years. And... Yeah, it has caused an impact, of course, on the sort of things I do. People put GDPR a bit on the back burner, understandably, because, you know, if, if they were furloughing people and their business was winding, effectively winding right down, then that went. But it was lots of businesses with data actually just went to working from home. And that's fine. But then they didn't actually think through the GDPR implications of that because suddenly you've got people who are using their, you know, maybe they've got their screen at home and the phone means so they walk away from that screen and they don't think about who else might be in their home at that moment who, who can see that data. Or it may just be that a child sits down at the keyboard at that point and corrupts the data, because that can happen too, of course. But, um, so that caused an issue. One thing I would say to people is that there's a, you know, I think a lot of people, and my experience with, certainly with local authorities and larger business, is that people are going back to the hybrid model of working. People, I think the days of people working in the office five days a week might well be behind us, to be honest, for the majority of business.
0: Yeah.
1: But the hybrid model needs even more care than people working at home, because suddenly you are not just got somebody at home working on the data, they're actually probably transporting data from A to B they're doing that on their laptop or they're doing it on a USB stick or, or they're actually doing it via a file server on the cloud, whatever. They're transferring data all the time and that adds extra risk into the data. The one thing I would say on that, and again it's something which the Information Commissioner's Office is very hot on, is if you've gone now to a hybrid model of working and that's what you not what you were doing pre-COVID, you really should carry out a data protection impact assessment and document it so that you've identified where the risks to the data are. It doesn't matter if you haven't got a way of dealing with those risks, it really doesn't at this stage, but you should know where those risks are, because the honeymoon period which the, the which the ICO gave people because of Covid, when they didn't really enforce them, has ended. Yeah, yeah you know, I think everybody needs to be in no doubt about that, that the ICO now is back to penalising people, who haven't done things, and if if an ICO inspector comes into your workplace or into or comes to see you, or even just talks to you like we're talking now, and you say, "Oh yeah, well, we're now doing a hybrid model where people so people are working from home two days a week, they're in the office three days a week," he's going he or she is going to say, "Let's see your data protection impact assessment for that," and if you can't produce one, you will get a penalty.
0: Yeah, no, true, Keith. And, and um, you know, it sounds like there's an awareness issue as well, or recognition issue yeah. here as well. Yeah. Uh, in, in, in your conversations, you know, and, and in your expert opinion, on a scale of one to 10, where do you see people as, and 10 being highly aware of what needs to be done or or uh, the issues around this? Where, where do you see some of these businesses lie in terms of uh, you know, post pandemic or during pandemic, or the changes to GDPR, or what they need to do. Where do you see them on that scale? I uh, want to uh, uh,
1: uh, yeah That's an interesting one. I, I would say, in terms of knowing that GDPR exists, it's probably a seven or eight out of ten. I think I think a lot of people do know it exists, but in actually being up to date with where they need to be, even with big business, I would say it's no better than a four out of ten, and for, for lots of people, probably a two and i don't blame people for that by the way because um something that i'm on record as saying and i have no problem with saying it again is that the ico is good at many things but marketing isn't one of them um they have a unique approach to marketing which seems to be that they just expect people to know what's happened
0: yeah
1: and you know, I've, I've raised that with them. Other people like myself have raised it with them. That it really is not good enough. And maybe now we have a new information commissioner. That might change. They might put a bit more emphasis on marketing. But nonetheless, falling back again, ignorance is no defence in law. And so, you know, it, it is important that you bring yourself up to speed. And, and what I would say to a gentle listeners is if, is if any of you are in a group like a Chamber of Commerce or whatever, and you'd like you know a, a 20 minute just brief uh introduction to what it's all about and what you need to be worried about please just let me know I'd be more than happy to do that for people with no charge
0: yeah no wonderful no Keith that's wonderful now let's uh, let's talk about this um, best-selling book that you've uh, you've authored. Mm. um tell us about your aha moment to 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 write this book
1: <laughs> well to be honest um I've, I've probably for the last three or four years had people saying to me you should you know you know so much about this subject you really should write a book and I've always said I don't have time and one of the people I, I actually said I don't have time to was my accountant and funny enough not long after lockdown started um, he joined in touch with me you know like you did always these really to see how, how things were going and I said well it's a bit quiet and he said, well, if it's a bit quiet, why don't you write your book? Because you've always said you don't have time where you can't use that excuse now, can you? And I thought, no, he's got a point. So I sat down and I, I wrote the book. Actually, it took me less time than I thought it would. Um, but I would actually say to anyone, you know, is listening, if you think there's the slightest chance you've got a book inside you, and almost everyone has, but if you decide you've a book inside you, then get ahead and write it. So if It's about business, because if I look at, i I never wrote my book to make money and even with with, even though it sold well to be honest the money's fairly insignificant but the thing it did do was boost awareness and also gave me a powerful tool to open doors and the one thing i would say for anyone even if it's not your own book maybe you use someone else's book if you can't write your own if you're after getting past a gatekeeper in a business so there's a business you want to do business with but their PA or their secretary or whoever is too good at defending the decision-maker that you want to get to, send that decision-maker a book. Because then when you ring and the gatekeeper says, is he or she expecting your call? You can say, yes, they are, because I've sent them my book. And every time you get through, and the other plus of sending people a book, is it's not like a brochure, someone gets a book in the post, they don't throw it away. Or yeah. certainly very few throw it away.
0: It's a, it's a very good strategy. And, and, and it's, it's, it's an authentic strategy too.
1: And, and so, as like I say, you, you know, my experience is it, it, it has opened some big doors for me that previously I, 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 I could have probably banged on until the cows come home and, and those doors wouldn't have opened.
0: Yeah, no, no, that's uh, that's wonderful. Thank you very much for sharing with us. Keith, you've, you've um, you know, travelled in your experience, in your career, um, you know, as as you mentioned, from being um, you know IT professional, security professional, and then GDPR, you've you've had your company share with us a a leadership lesson that you've learned, which which has transformed the way that you operate yourself or benefited others that you have influenced.
1: Yeah, um, I, I I think I think one is 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 a rule that I always applied, which is never ask one of your employees to do something you wouldn't be prepared to do yourself and, <laughs> and 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 I think that's really important because sometimes it's all too easy let's say release to coming; it's all too easy for some of us to say okay well you know someone wants something on Easter Saturday Joe you can do that well do you know what if you wouldn't give up your Easter Saturday to do it why should Joe and and I think that's really important and I and I and I, and I think also don't Ever feel that there's something that's beneath you? Because I think you know what if you if you have I don't know an event in your office and um you have some people in and that and then you go and help whoever's doing away to two away the dishes and do the washing up. You know what you earn some real brownie <laughs> points amongst your team. Yeah, and 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 I think that's just really important. And the other thing which I'm going to say and and this is something which I've worked to for the last. Um, tried to 15 years now and it is a real golden nugget and it is my golden nugget which is something which I called the 48 hour rule and the 48 hour rule is simply this only ever worry about the next 48 hours and what does that mean well it means why or why let's say why first because why is because anything that's already happened good or bad that you've done has happened you can't change it it's done. So there's no point worrying about it. Anything that's more than 48 hours away, and God knows, particularly in today's incredibly uncertain world, might not happen anyway. I mean, how many of us, if we're honest, in January 2020 had pandemic in our business plan? My guess is probably none. And so only if you're aware about the next 48 hours, doesn't mean you don't plan. I've still got a business plan. I know where I want my business to be in five years time. But i'm not a slave to it and i think that's the fundamental it's really really important because the other benefit of this and, and, and i practice what i preach and I, I, i've tried this for myself the other plus is if you don't if you don't only worry about the next 48 hours you have less stress all none of us make good decisions when we're stressed so because you've got less stress you make better decisions which means you sleep better, which means you get less stress, which means you make better decisions. It's what I call the virtuous circle. And as we sit here now, I can say hand on heart that since I adopted that philosophy 15 years ago, I've not had a single sleepless night, not one in 15 years. And so, you know, it really, really works. Yeah. And if people take away nothing else, then again, maybe maybe that's a golden nugget to, to, to take away.
0: Indeed, it is a golden nugget and and it's a it's a it's a concept of mindset shift because what you described the 48 hour rule and applying that is a mindset shift. Yeah. And and one needs to force themselves. And and do you do you with with what you've just described, do you actually see people leveraging that?
1: Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I've actually had, I, in fact, I've actually had people ask me to write a book about it. Um, which I haven't yet got around to doing, but it's on my, on my to-do list. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, 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 I often use that 48-hour rule when, I, when I'm talking to groups of people and just make it to them. And, you know, sometimes it's brilliant for me because I, I remember doing that recently for a group of, I don't know, 20 different uh, managing directors who were in a room. And one of them, as I as I came to the end of that, literally just verbally exclaimed, "I get it now," <laughs> and that was great, you know. <laughs> that 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 had that effect on somebody. I, I was like, "Wow!" Um, but yeah, it, it you know, it, it it's so simple. It's not simple to get there, because as you say, it's a mindset shift. It's not a simple. I'm not expecting anybody to go go from listen to this and say, "Right, from now I'm only going to worry about the next forty eight hours." It doesn't quite work like that. You need to get into the state where you can only worry about the next forty-eight hours. But it's a shift worth making. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. And in this
0: world these days, especially these days when we are living in this VUCA world, uh, you know, uncertain, ambiguous, mm. volatile. I mean, it's it's very important to look at the mindset and, and shift. Yeah, and adjust, I mean, I mean, just, yeah. just
1: come in on that, Stephen. The other thing I would say on that is absolutely ration your exposure to the news yeah because it's very easy especially with today's rolling news channels to and, and with what's going on in Ukraine and and you know everyone sorts of with the poor people there and god god everything let's hope that comes to an end soon but it's very easy to get absorbed in that and, and and suddenly you think oh the world's come to an end and I was talking to somebody the other day about this and I said I said, try and US Engineers. He said, Yeah, and I only watch two hours a day. <laughs> and I said, "And um, what 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 how much better is your life after those two hours than it was before? Where well, isn't what did you pick up in those four hours you in, in those um, two hours you couldn't have picked up just from saying to Alexa, you know, give me the headlines.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, nothing well then why spend your your life there because you know throughout life as a whole life's for two types of people positive people and negative people and don't spend your time with negative people because they drag you down to their level and beat you with experience yeah yeah
0: no absolutely
1: you know very you know very
0: great lessons there Keith Uh, so Keith, tell us a little bit more about uh, you know your, your your interests. You've talked about your professional world. Sure, uh, yeah. Tell us what you do outside of work.
1: Uh, outside of work, yeah. Um, uh, well, I mean, uh, it, my main interest outside of work is, is Formula One. I'm a, I'm a complete Formula One nut, um, always have been. And it's my ambition to try and get to as many Formula One circuits for, for real as I can um in, in in my lifetime. I haven't managed that well so far. I've only been to two, but um that, that's one of the things that on my on my bucket list. Um so I, I'm a Formula One nut the other thing is my family, I've got two wonderful young grandchildren. <clears throat> and if you ever need however good or bad you think your day is <coughs> excuse me. However good or bad you think your day is, if you ever need anything to bring you down to earth it's two young children. Um, you, you, you know, because they have such a simple view of life, and sometimes I look at them and think, I "Remember when life was like that? When when it when choices were that simple?" Yeah. Um, but it, you know, children are wonderful, and of course, that you know, that they, they are our future. And so, yeah, spending time with my grandchildren is the other thing, which which yeah, I just can't get enough of.
0: Yeah, no, very very important aspect. So, would all of those? combined elements be um, a a day in the life of uh, of Keith or is anything else that you wanted to add
1: um no I I guess that's probably it I mean the only other thing to add is that uh, outside of my professional work I'm also a district councillor with East Temple District Council Um, and so yeah that takes up a fair amount of my time and Somebody said to me the other day, well, isn't that just work? And I said, No, it isn't, because I don't look at work, because it's totally different. There, there I am just, you know, just there as a servant of the people, really helping other people and and making hopefully making the best decisions for the people who live in East Hampshire. Yeah,
0: yeah, no, wonderful. And and Keith, what uh do you see as your next big adventure, business or personal?
1: Ooh, that's a, that's an interesting one. Um I think my next big adventure, if I'm honest, is to get my second book written, to get this book written about the 48 hour rule, because it's going to be a totally different kind of book. Because, you know, GDPR made simple is all about any businessman being able to pick it up, get their business GDPR compliant. 48 hour rule is going to be much more mindful than that, really. Um, it's going to be about how you get your life to where you can just transfer it, and that's 48 hours. It's going to be quite a Quite a struggle to write it because some of it's hard to put into words, but um, it is my ambition to get that book out there because I actually think that lots and lots of people could benefit from it.
0: Wonderful, we're coming to a close very shortly. So let me ask you, Keith: um, any any closing messages that you want to share with, or any challenge to other leaders that you want to make here?
1: Oh, um, challenge to other leaders. I would say. Um, try to think within your team what you can do to be to bring something new and positive into that team at least once a month so that you're building the positivity within the team because as I said again you know if if I I I would guess that for most people listening to this particularly entrepreneurs and, and business owners if you were walking down a corridor and on the left is a room for the negative people, on the right is a room for the positive people, my guess is 98% of us listening would turn to the right. And so, you know, try and think how you can build that positivity within your team. It can be something really, really simple. You know, you can have some daft days. There's nothing wrong with being daft. I mean, one of the things I did with my team recently was, was I said, okay, we don't have a meeting. And during the meeting, you've got to get as many lyrics of Beatles songs into what you're talking about as you can. Yeah. And it was silly. We've all ended the meeting in laughter, but you know what? To bond as a team, laughter's a great a great clue.
0: Well, uh, there you go. Words of wisdom from Keith Budden. Well, thank you very much, Keith, for coming to the show and uh, making a difference for our listeners today. No problem at all, Stephen.
1: Thank you very much for inviting me. I've, I've really enjoyed that.
0: Wonderful. Okay, folks, thank you very much for listening in and stay tuned for our upcoming episode on a leader who, in the face of political and economic challenges, has stepped into becoming a fearless leader and helping other entrepreneurs excel. We'll share more of this shortly. Thank you and have a wonderful day.